Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So, I have 20 bucks. Oh, I'll take it. Hold on. Hold on. I just want to ask a few questions. Alex is not, he's, he's persistent this time. He was, he was thought, had a, he was in the back last time, now he's coming oh, forward. I'm going to be sitting <coughs> Hold on. I have an illustration is what I'm trying to get to. It's not a whole lot. By the way, this is not another faith raiser where we're going to be giving everyone $20. This is simply just one. Uh, so if I were to give you this, why, if you, and if you were to take it, why would you take it? Because you have no money, because it's free money, because you're offering, because it has value. Okay, yep, see, there's the spirit, spiritual <laughs> dynamic where you're like, hey, I want to receive this gift you want to give me. If you were not to take it, what would be a reason that you did not take it? You want to owe me, feel obliged. How, what were some other ones? It was so fast. I I just, like I just, okay, I didn't feel like I deserved it. Like I didn't do anything to earn the. Any strings attached? Any strings attached? Yeah. Maybe somebody else needs it more. There's a lot of good. You guys are like really on top of this. You're doing great. <laughs> so, actually, I was. I didn't do this first service, but I was uh, just praying. And I wanted to give this to Colin, the unsuspecting victim. And Colin, I just feel like, I feel like God is, is, is he just wants to release faith into your life uh, to see heaven come to earth. And he wants to just address the fear, whatever fear is there that would, that would want to have your retreat to, to a more comfortable place. He just wants to address that and bring you closer to himself. To, to partner with him in in your life. So I just wanted to give you that and bless you. Thank you. And give you a hug. That's fine. Thank you. All right. So the whole point of giving the $20 and just the whole asking why and why not is simply to say that it's important. Like if, if, if I gave you the 20 bucks and then after fact I said, you know, actually I'm giving you this so that you can exchange it for Bitcoin. If you could actually just like become a Bitcoin exchange and give me $20 in Bitcoin. Could you do that? And then you, maybe you'd be like, if you're like me, you're like, I have no idea what that even is. I'm not a Bitcoin exchange. Please, no, take it back. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to get myself into that. It's, so it's important to know what you're getting yourself into. Like, if it's, if it's just, if it's just a gift, free 20 bucks, sweet. Maybe I'll take it. I want to ask a little bit of questions, though, because I don't want to know. I want to know what, what, what I'm getting myself into. I want to know what, if there's strings attached or, you know, what's going on here. And that's good and wise and important to know in any sort of exchange, any sort of receiving of anything, what we're getting ourselves into in the receiving. Because you, it would be bad if, if what happened to me happened to you. I am extra loud. That was funny. So, so a few months ago, I just kind of went on this Amazon kick where I'm thinking, what can I get delivered right to my door without having to go to the store? 
pretty much anything. So let's see, what do I need? And I thought, oh, I, sh I need a dustpan. Not a broom and dustpan, just a dustpan. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm doing painting. I, need, I want a construction dustpan. I want like a strong steel dustpan that can pick up heavy stuff. Why not? And so I'm looking, I'm doing the research, I thought. And I um, thought, okay, here's a steel, big dustpan. Looks great. It's nice and shiny. I'll get that. So I bought it. It's delivered. And I get the box, and I'm immediately suspicious because it's a small box. And I open it up, and I'm thoroughly disappointed to find that it's, a, it's exactly like the look in the picture, except for in my head I thought it was way bigger, and it's like this big. <laughs> and it's super strong steel, and it's, you know, but it's like a child's dustpan. Like it's nothing that I would ever use. It's totally impractical for my needs. And so I go back to Amazon, and I think, okay, I just got to return this stupid thing. I don't even want it. And I go to find out, oh, on this item, there's no free returns. So I guess I'm keeping it, this dustpan that's completely useless because it's so small. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into in this, in this scenario. No free returns. I didn't read the dimensions, which were clearly on the screen, that said it was four inches wide or whatever it was. And here I am with, stuck with this dustpan that I have no desire for. And I don't even know where it's at. I, mean, I still have it. It's somewhere. Not, it's collecting dust, but in the wrong sort of way. So, so it's important to know what you're getting into when you receive something. Today we want to look at something that Jesus gives to his church for them to receive. It's something very simple, and yet it's profound. It's something ordinary, but yet it takes on an extraordinary significance and meaning for the life of the church. We're in week four of Journey to Easter series. Turn it on. It probably helps. And in this series, we want to ask two questions how does, how does the thing we're looking at point to the cross, and how, does it, how is it strengthened or formed in community? So hopefully we can answer these two questions as we look at what it means to receive. Now today we're going to look closely at uh, the, the Lord's Supper, which is the, the thing that Jesus gives to his church for them to receive. There's two main sacraments or ordinances in the church that Jesus gives to the church to, to practice. And their baptism, which is, a, which is what happens once, which is the, kind of the entrance into the church. And then there's the Lord's Supper, which happens again and again and again and again. Every time you gather, or every time you get together, or at a certain frequency, do this in remembrance of me. So we have, you know, the front end, and then the thing that sustains the church throughout are the two, are the two sacraments, the, the ba baptism and the Lord's Supper. Today, again, we want to look at how to receive from Jesus this, this bread and wine, and, and, and particularly what we're getting ourselves into while we receive. As we receive the bread and wine in community, what, what exactly are we agreeing to? What are we getting ourselves into as we do this? So let's read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, Starting in verse 26, we'll just look at three or four verses here. So it says this, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said to them, Take, eat, this is my body. 
And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this is, this is the scene. The Lord's Supper. This is a Da Vinci kind of Middle Ages European rendering of something that probably didn't look exactly like this. But the scene is this. Jesus is at the table with the disciples. They're celebrating Passover, which is for thousand, at least a thousand years. And at this point in, in history, the Jewish people have been celebrating Passover. Right? Passover is, is kind of the, the hallmark scene in the Old Testament where God delivers his people from the Egyptian slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Most everything in the Old Testament reflects back on the Passover and what God did in delivering Israelites from Egyptian rule. The Passover, just to to give a brief synopsis, happens starting in Exodus 12 where God tells Moses to tell all the Israelites to, to take a lamb and to, to slaughter it, and to take the blood from the lamb and, and, and wipe it on the doorposts and on the top post of the house, so that when he sends the destroyer through the land of Egypt, the destroyer would pass by the, the houses that had the blood sprinkled on, the blood of the lamb sprinkled on them. Every, every house that didn't have the blood of the lamb, the, the destroyer, would, the angel of death, as it were, would kill the firstborn in that house as an act of judgment against Egypt. Anyone who had the, the blood sprinkled over the doorpost would be passed by. So, they take, in this scene, they, in the Passover, they take uh, the lamb, they, they, they kill it, and they sprinkle the blood, and then they eat it. That night, before the actual Passover happens, they eat the lamb, they roast it over fire, and there's all these kind of details that happen. Part of the details are Make bread, but don't put any leaven in it because you won't have time for it to rise. It needs to be in haste. You need to be quick about it. Because this very night, once, once God acts, you will, you will all be delivered from Egypt. So there's, there's this cadence and order and symbols. And, and so for, for a thousand years, the Jewish people, in, after being delivered, rehearse the Passover scene. They, 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 tell, they, tell themselves, they remind themselves of the story of what God did back with their ancestors. When Jesus is with his disciples here, there's a certain tension involved. It's the, it's the classical Passover meal and everything else, but, but just in the scene before, he had told Judas, you, you're going to betray me. And Jesus, Judas says, surely not I. And so that's kind of awkward. It kind of makes for a, you know, just a weird dinner party where, you know, the one person is called out. and So that's, that's kind of Awkward, at the very least. But, but then the next scene is, Jesus says, okay, now all of you will betray me. Not in the same way Judas does, but all of you will, will fall away. All of you will, will deny me by the end of tonight. And there's this kind of eruption of like, no way. Peter says, even if everyone denies you, I will, I will die with you. I am that faithful. And as the story plays out, it's not, not the case at least immediately. So there's this tension as they celebrate Passover. 
And Jesus starts by taking, taking the bread. The bread is, uh, plays a pivotal role in the Passover story. It's, it's, the, it's the bread of affliction. It's the bread that, that, that unleavened. There's no, there's no yeast in it. It's, it plays this role of, of haste. That we're to be quick about this. We're to, we're to act decisively because God is going to deliver us, to, going to deliver us tonight. Jesus takes that bread that's on the table and he takes it. He breaks it. He gives it and he says, take, eat. This is my body. And, and, the, and the Jewish disciples are, are probably thinking, wait a second, Jesus. You know what that bread is, don't you? Like you're, our, you're, the, you're the teacher. You're the rabbi. You, sh- you should know what that bread is. And, and of course, Jesus is like, yes, I, I absolutely do know what the bread is. And I'm saying, this is my body. So, so what, what I'm getting at is the bread, they call, I call it the bread of affliction just a bit ago, it comes from this passage in Deuteronomy 16 where, where God tells Moses this. He says, Observe the month of Abib or Aviv and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice the Passover lamb to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd and in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall not eat it. You shall not eat with it unleavened bread. The bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste so that you may remember all the days of your life, the the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So the bread of affliction is to serve as a reminder it's to, it's to serve as a physical reminder. This is unleavened bread. This is not normal. This is not very good. This is just kind of doesn't have, this doesn't, it's not very bready. It's kind of crunchy, crackery. It's to serve as a reminder of what God did. It's called the bread of affliction. And Jesus appropriates it or says, this bread of affliction, this, this is my body. This is, this is my body. I include this quote that I found as I was looking into this. Um, I just found it really helpful. It says it better than I could. This is a commentator from the Gospel of Matthew named John Nolan, and he says, this is my body in place of this is the bread of affliction, implicitly relocates the affliction from those who eat the bread, who are identifying with the affliction of their ancestors, to the one who is the bread, anticipating his coming passion. So Jesus is taking this idea of affliction. He's saying that's that's my body. Like, I'm going to be afflicted. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be given to the world. So this, this idea of bread of affliction, Jesus takes onto himself, right? The scripture talks about, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This is a, a concrete example of how Jesus is fulfilling the law. The, the, this, the, you know, Exodus is part of the law. It's part of the instruction Jesus says, I'm fulfilling the bread of affliction. What, what the bread of affliction meant, the, what it caused us to remember was our, the, the plight of our ancestors and such and the deliverance from Egypt. Even more so, I, my, the affliction that I'm going to take on my body serves us as an even, even greater act of God to deliver all people from slavery, to deliver all people from oppression. He, but, but he uses just the simple, simple bread, simple, simple wine that we'll look at in a bit to, to make this profound reality more, more palatable. Bread. Matzah. 
The next thing he says, he, you know, he takes, he takes the wine and he, uh, he says, he passes it, and he says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. There's three kind of commands here. He says, take, eat, drink. Those are all, like they, they're in Greek, if, if you want to look into it, they're command, they're, they're, they're command language that a, that, a, that a master would use to his slave or that a, a lord would use to his followers. It's like, do this. But it's also an invitation. So it's a command and an invitation because it's, it's, it's not, he's not forcing the hand. He's not saying, I'm going to shove this down your throat. He's saying, take it. Eat it. Drink it. Let it, let it, let it, I want you to consume the reality in this basic elements of what I'm about to do. The wine here uh, is, is simply, you know, it, wine in the Old Testament is, kind of can take on a bunch of different meanings. Wine is present at celebrations. Wine is, is a good thing that God, you know, incorporates into festivals and this and that. But it's also, it comes to be used as, uh, as a representative of judgment. You know, the, the wine press of the wrath of God, where, where, where the, the, you know, the, the grapes are, are stepped on and pressed, uh, pressed, pressed. And, and all the juice flows out as if it, as if it were blood. So God, God uses this, this imagery as a, as a judgment imagery. And in a way, both of those are, are true here. This is my blood. There's judgment involved, but there's also, through the blood, a celebration of deliverance in, in, this, in this imagery. Uh, you know, so the, so the covenant um, is what we'll look at in a second. So, so Jesus says, this is my blood, when he looks at the wine. And, and again, the disciples, they've heard this before, but, but it, they, weren't, they weren't very, they didn't really understand it then. And they, they probably still are like, what, what do you mean that's your blood? Like, so, so let's just look at this passage in John where, where Jesus uses similar language from John chapter 6. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And they were, they were quite offended, not just the disciples, but everyone in this scene in John was like, Jesus, everything you're doing and saying is good and and powerful, but what are you talking about here? Like, what do you mean, eat my flesh and drink my blood? And I think in, in some ways, it's the, the writer of this gospel, John, is, is, is taking these words of Jesus and using them kind of in association with communion, in, with the giving of the, the bread and the wine, to say, there's a digestion here. There's, there's, a, there's something that happens here when you take the, the flesh, which is, which is the bread, and, and the blood, which is the wine, that, 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 that really does something in you. And, and, and it's from this passage, I mean, people go in different directions in terms of theologically how, how you understand what happens in the bread and the wine, but at the very least, there's something that, that, that's, that's happening. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. God's doing something as we recall, as we remember, as we participate in the, the body and the blood of Jesus. But again, they're offended. They don't understand what's happening. The, uh, the covenant 
that he talks about this is the blood of the covenant poured out for many. It refers to this idea in the Old Testament where, where God was going to bring about a new covenant. Jeremiah 31 says it very like point blank, but it's referred to in, in several different places throughout the Old Testament that God is going to be doing something new soon. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's going to involve a forgiveness of sin. Like, more than we can comprehend. And it's going to involve a new covenant, a new established commitment with God and his people that, again, we don't completely understand, but we can anticipate it. So in Jeremiah 31, if you haven't read it already, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. This is... This is the idea that Jesus is identifying with. He says, this is the blood of the covenant, my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So, so I would just imagine all these, all the, all these images are, are, are rifling through the disciples' brains as he's connecting the dots with, with their, their, their Old Testament, their, their Jewish understanding of who the Messiah was and what he was going to do and, and how this, this idea of, of a broken human body and, and human blood shed as a sacrifice was going to make sense in their, in their minds. And it still is, doesn't, doesn't always make perfect sense when we, when we just try to wrap our head around it, but it's something that God's doing as he establishes something new with his people. So, I want to look at two things that we're doing while we take the bread, drink the wine. There's two things that that we're actually doing. The first one is that we're preaching. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is more of an encouragement than a challenge because whether you know it or not, you are preaching when you, when you take communion. You're preaching. So you're all preachers. We good with that? Like, and it's actually not like, I want you to preach or you should preach. You are preaching. We're about to take communion at the end of the service, and you will be preaching when you take communion. You will be saying something. You'll be saying that Jesus really died. You proclaimed the Lord's death. This really happened, and he's coming again. Until he comes, we're going to proclaim this. We're going to say this. We're going to rehearse the story. Until he comes, I'm, I'm you're preaching you, and, you're, and you're finding yourself in the middle of, of the what happened and what will happen, and you're preaching from that place. Who are you preaching to? You're preaching to yourself. You're, you're, you're rehearsing the story of your own salvation about what God has done through simple bread and simple juice or wine. You're preaching to each other because you're not taking this by yourself. You're taking this in the community. It's one bread that's broken. It's one community that's, that shares of the one body of Christ. You take, you're, you're preaching to each other. When I, when I take communion, I'm watching my brothers and sisters take it with me, rehearse the story with me. And this, this is a communal act that we're doing together. We're preaching to the enemy who would want us to believe that what, what happened didn't really happen. He would want us to believe that Jesus, I mean, he was a real man, he, whatever you can think about him, but he didn't really die. And he didn't really do anything, have anything to do with your sin. Because he wants to keep you in that. And he really isn't coming again because that gives you hope. And I don't want you to have any hope. We're preaching to a, an oppressive enemy that would want us to have a very limited understanding 
of if there's a God, he's distant and, and he's, doesn't, he's not for your benefit and he doesn't forgive your sins and he, and he doesn't love you and, and all these things. When, we're, when we take communion, we're preaching to the enemy about who Jesus was, what he did, that he really died, he really rose again, and he's really coming back. Amen. You're, you're preaching, and I want you to feel fortified by that. Even if you've never or never will get up here and preach a message, you are, you are preaching in this house when you take communion. So be encouraged. We're preaching together with one voice as we take communion. The second thing we're doing is that we're participating. You, and and these, are, these are both things that you, you're getting yourself into this when you take communion. Like, these are things you're agreeing to do and actually are doing when you take the bread and, and the juice. What I mean when I say you participate comes from this idea just the chapter before in 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This idea, participate, this word is, is fellowship. It's koinonia, if you've ever heard that word. What it means is it's, it's, it's a sharing, it's an it's a intimacy. It's a, it's a communion and a participation with Jesus and his people. You're participating in the benefits of the blood and the body of Christ. So, to think about it in the perspective of Passover, Jesus, or God gives the Israelites the lamb to slaughter, to eat, so that because that night they're going to be delivered from Egypt. But if you think about the order, they're eating the lamb after they sprinkle the blood. They're eating the lamb before they're delivered from Egypt. They're, they're consuming, they're eating, and they're benefiting from what's about to happen by consuming the sacrifice that's already been given, even though their, their deliverance hasn't even happened yet. They're, but, they're, but they're participating in the benefits by consuming this, this sacrifice, by eating the meat, about from, of, you're, you're benefiting from what God's about to do. So when we participate in the blood of Christ and participate in the body of Christ, we're participating in the benefits of what Jesus has done and is about to do in his, in his, in his, in his coming back. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like we're, we're, we're participating. Like we're sharing in the benefits together as a community of what God has done and is going to do. The second aspect of participation that I want to look at is just this the fact that we're participating in a people, in community. It's again this idea of there's one bread that's broken, one body that's broken for us. We rip off, actually when we take communion at the end of here, we're going to take the bread and we're going to rip it off. And when we rip it off, it's saying that, for one, community is not pre-sliced. A community is not clean. It's not like kind of cookie cutter. It's already there for you. I just need to take it and you know, it's, it's not messy. No, it's messy. You, you may, there's going to be crumbs. Like, there's going to be a little bit of a mess, and what that means is you break the bread off, and it's, it's, it's not, it's, 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 it's one bread, and you're, you're ripping a piece off. You are a part of one 
loaf. Like you're a part of one community. And it's not just this house, although it's, it's localized right here. It's a global community of people who take of the one body, which is Jesus Christ. He gives himself as nourishment. He gives himself as the food and the drink for his people. We're participating in the community of Jesus as we take the bread and drink the wine. Or the fruit of the vine is what we can call it here. Because it's juice. So we're, partic- we're preaching and we're participating. We need to know that these are two things that we are getting ourselves into when we take communion. So you're agreeing to participate in this house. It doesn't mean you need to automatically like serve somewhere and the, the formal aspect, but just in, conceptually, you're, you're identifying with the people of God and participating, not just with Jesus on your own, but you're participating in the people of God the body and the blood of Jesus. And you're preaching. If you've ever thought that I don't, I don't have the gift of preaching, I don't have the capacity to preach, I don't have the words, I don't have the confidence, whatever, it doesn't matter. You're preaching as you rehearse the story, as you take communion, as you, as you take the drink and the food, you're preaching to a variety of people, including yourself. I want to leave us with this image. Um, and it's, it's this idea that when we take communion, it's, 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 it's Jesus inviting us to his table, but it's, it's also Jesus, it's, it's a re- get the idea of it's a rehearsal dinner for the wedding of the marriage of, the, of Jesus and his church. The, the, the banquet table, the, the bread and the wine, this is a rehearsal dinner where Jesus is the groom and his church is the bride, and you're a part of it. You're not, you're not just a, a guest, like watching the rehearsal go on and kind of eating the food, kind of admiring them. You are a part of the rehearsal dinner that Jesus, and, and you're, you're together in it. Watch this anticipation. Hear the, hear the longing in Jesus' voice at the end of this verse. It says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's a longing here. There's an anticipation here that Jesus has for his bride to celebrate, to consummate, to, to be with us in his Father's kingdom where he can drink the new wine with us. So every time we take communion, every time we drink the juice and, and, and take the bread, we're being invited back to the rehearsal dinner, reminding us of the story of what Jesus has done and what he's going to do. And we're kind of entering into that longing with Jesus to drink the new wine with him in his Father's kingdom. I hope that that, that picture is helpful for you and even challenging for some of us to think that God would invite you, that God would invite us to to rehearse the story of our salvation, the story of what's about to happen in an intimate dinner. But that's true. Just to to kind of give give a little cadence or a little picture to the scene. Revelation 19 talks about it. Uh, Then I heard something like a voice of a great multitude, sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His bride has made herself ready. Heaven is, is longing for the day where the marriage of the Lamb and His bride happen. Jesus is longing, He's anticipating the day when he will marry his church, which is us. When he, when he will marry... Like, this, is, this, is a, this is supposed to be a powerful image, a, an intimate image that Jesus invites us into. It's, 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 it, it stirs up affection, but also kind of a question of, are we, are we ready? Like, this is the, the bride has made herself ready. Are we even like aware of the scene that we're participating in when we rehearse the story of what happened and what's about to happen. This, folks, is what we're getting ourselves into every time we take communion, every time we, we, we come together as a community to take the Lord's Supper. 